This is a Soulfire production. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Politically Homeless. We're here today. Let me be real with you. I'm dragging a little bit of ass today. I even was I was fading out this music too slow. That just shows you where I'm at today. But I've got reasons. I've got reasons. We've been doing the IVF thing. Doing IVF. It's been um it's been an experience, to say the least. Um a lot going on with that. I think we have like something like nineteen embryos or eggs or I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that they had to take a needle and stick it into my sack, and that was unpleasant. But that was a little while ago. Didn't have to, I thought they were going to have to do it again. I thought they might have to do it again. And the funny thing is about that deal is I went in, and, and I'm the one with the plumbing issues here, um, which has done me a favor in my younger life when I wasn't careful at all. Then I find out that I, um, you know, have uh, I'm shooting blanks, which is a little bit devastating, but then you figure out that everything's going to be okay. They just got to go in and get the get them from the inside. You know, they got to go the long way, do it the hard way. So anyways, um, they put me under with this anesthesia, like this conscious anesthesia. And I may have talked about this before, but maybe I forgot. But uh, I was so wrecked from that anesthesia, right? I was just so wrecked for days um, that I was like, well, if I have to do it again, which they might have to do it again. I was like, I'm just not doing anesthesia. That means I got to like lidocaine your sack and get in there, which part of me was really terrified of that, but it's like, well, I'll deal with it. It'll be fine. I can deal with the soreness. It wasn't that bad. The, the, the headaches and stuff from the anesthesia were way worse than any other pain I had from that procedure. But I was also like, man, that'll be a weird experience. You know, I'm kind of terrified, but I'm also kind of just intrigued to what that would be like. So I was kind of not hoping it would happen, but I was open to the idea just because that would be, you know, a unique novel experience to be awake and conscious while somebody's harvesting your seed with a needle from your sack. So didn't have to do that again. We got plenty of stuff. Everything's good. Everything's moving. We'll see what happens. A little, a little monkskin running around here pretty soon, I guess. I don't know. It's weird. I had totally gotten okay with not having kids, but I, you know, I always, called, I always wanted to be a dad, but then was like, well, it may not happen because it's a kind of a big barrier, you know, big hurdle to jump through to make this all work out. Maybe I'll adopt later in life. Maybe I won't get married. I don't know. But where I'm at now, this is the reality. And it's a strange reality. And I'm pretty sure that I will raise my children instead of letting them watch, um, Letting them watch, you know, like Teletubbies or whatever the kids watch these days. The Wiggles. Used to watch the Wiggles a lot with my little cousins. Um, you know, and instead of doing that, I think I'll just let them watch the Tim Dillon podcast weekly. I mean, they'll, they'll probably be premium subscribers by the time they're two to the Tim Dillon podcast. And I can't imagine. I can't think of a reason why not. And he, just had, he just had Joe Rogan on, which is Joe Rogan's not really on a podcast very often. He doesn't go on as a guest often at all. So I highly recommend, I, I watched that whole, before I put the show out today, I finished finished up the the Tim Dillon and Joe Rogan podcast for Tim Dillon show, which is a bunch of different experience than Tim on Joe's show. And I was hoping there'd be something in there that I could like isolate that was good and kind of um, poignant in today's climate. But 
that wasn't really, it wasn't much there for that from what I could see. Um, but it's just a really good episode, really good podcast, uh, really fun. And I recommend checking it out if you haven't already. Tim Dillon does a, he's a great job. He's probably the best comic out there today. And I think when you think about these guys, just these people that are, that are doing the thing, right? This is what they do. They make people laugh, make people smile, whatever it is. They, they, they pick on things that are important to be picked on. It, there's certain people I think that, and I'll just use three in particular, right? Let's use Rogan, Tim Dillon, and Theo Vaughn. And they, do, they all do numerous things. When you think about Joe, I think that his comedy, and this is me personal, this is a personal thing. I think his comedy is about the third most important thing that he does. I don't, his specials are good. I've seen him live. He's good. It's really fun. He's, a, he's, one, of the, he's, he's one of the best of our time, without a doubt. But I've, I think that his fight commentating is the best. And his podcast is, I mean, we saw the, the reach, 11 million listeners on average per episode. That's fucking insane, right? That's, that's out of control. That's nuts. Um, so I think that, that his comedy is important and fun and good, but it's not, it doesn't have the same weight that it showed us. Whereas I think Tim is the same. I've seen Tim live as well. Tim's a great comedian, one of the best of our time, all the caveats, but his podcast, that long form Tim Dillon rambling is much more important and valuable. I think in the world, I'm glad they do all the things right. But I think his podcast is still more important than his comedy. Which is a weird change in things for stand-up comedians because stand-up specials were before podcasts were their thing, you know? And it's cool that they can kind of diversify. Where when I look at Theo Vaughn, which I love Theo Vaughn's podcast, but his comedy in person, live, is absolutely fucking incredible. It's some of the best comedy I've seen in in recent history. And I love watching stand-up. So it's just funny to think about those and analyze those in that way. But definitely my kids will be you know, listening to Tim Dillon as, as, as small children, which will that be good? Will it be bad? I don't know. I can't tell you. I don't consider myself a responsible human being and probably a relatively irresponsible parent as well. But as part of the beauty of the American experiment is I get to have children and see what happens when you raise children on Tim Dillon. And that'll be a, that'll be an interesting thing. We got a lot of, lot to cover this week, this episode, whatever, Congressional trading has been a big thing. So we're going to dive into some possible, some possible uh, mitigation of the insider trading that happens in Congress. We're going to talk a little bit about um, the Dems, <laughs> the Dems turning on the CDC, which is just you love to see it. Uh, Ted Cruz just roasted the FBI over January sixth, and Rand and Fauci got into it one more time. But we're going to take a different perspective on it this time. And in something to think about, we're going to talk about solutions instead of band aids, and who could maybe make that happen. But yeah, here we are. I think it's time. Like I said, the IVF and all the things that will be going on have got me dragging. But I'm going to see if I can summon everything I have to deliver a, um, an excellent audio experience to you and yours. Let's get into it. State of Things coming up right now. Oh, man. So Nancy Pelosi's been catching a lot of heat, and it's become kind of a joke that this woman is just, she's just corrupt as 
all get out. <laughs> it's crazy. Like her returns in the stock market are insane. The timings of her trades, well, her husband's trades are in, are just so suspect. And this woman is so brazen. And she's also like 9 million years old. So she's like, what the fuck are they going to do to me? Right. And we have the stock act and these different things, but the fine in the fine, I think the fines for, for, any wrongdoing when it comes to stock stock act are like $200, right? And the, the regulations within that act are so loose anyways. It's just it's just it's just complete horseshit. So, we've got some different things coming up because this has been a hot topic and this is a great place to gain some political capital right now, especially with the American population because we're tired of getting fucked over by these people who are gaining power and influence and especially when you're talking about the speaker of the house who has the power to keep things from even being presented on the floor and keeps things from getting voted on that might maybe impact a, um, a company that she has is heavy into, right? So let's just check this out. This is a, this is a quick video. I'm going to play a clip from this video from Jake Tran. I highly recommend you guys check out Jake Tran. He's got in these incredible mini documentaries and his premium, which I just subscribed to his premium um, subscription. He's got these full length documentaries. A lot of it's on corruption, um, finance, business, different things. Super, super fun. So check out Jake Tran for sure. But let's just check out what he says about Nancy Pelosi right here. Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi, also known as history's greatest stock trader. In 2020, while the plebs were suffering, her and her husband made an insane $16.7 million wow. on the money they invested, which means they made a return of more than 50%. Forget Bitcoin, Nancy needs to open up a hedge fund right now so I can dump all my money into it. Let's see how her 50% return compares to some of the most legendary investors. BlackRock, the company that owns the world, was only able to make a measly 13%. Ew. And Warren Buffett? Ugh. Warren Buffett's company, Berkshire Hathaway, only went up by 2% in 2020. Pathetic. You see, one of the biggest perks of being a member of Congress is that you get to participate in legal, repeat after me, legal insider trading. That's why Nancy Pelosi was able to buy Tesla stock right before Joe Biden signed off on pro-EV laws. That's why she was able to buy options on 4,000 shares of Google right before the House Judiciary Committee voted on antitrust regulation, making her and her husband a cool $5 million on this trade alone. <laughs> if we traded on insider information, the SEC would fine us up to $5 million as an individual or $25 million as a business entity, and then they would throw us in a prison filled with violent criminals for up to two decades. And that's not even close to all the trades Nancy has made. No, no, no. Right before Microsoft secured a $22 billion army contract, her and her husband exercised $1.95 million worth of call options. In 2008, Visa offered Nancy Pelosi access to IPO stock right before the House had to decide on some legislation Visa opposed. So her husband bought 5,000 shares at $44 each, and two days later, the price skyrockets to $64. Her and her husband made $100,000 overnight. And the legislation, it was never even taken to the floor to vote. Well, well, so that's that's a good breakdown. Go watch this full video. It's a fantastic video. But moving on, we've got John Ossoff, freshman uh, congressperson from Georgia, pushing back 
on Pelosi's stock trades. Let's dive into this. We're going to stay with the New York Post for both of these different articles from the left or from the Democrats and the Republicans. I'm trying to uh, not call them the left and the right because that's not necessarily the case, but Democrats and Republicans. So Georgia Senator John Ossoff is looking to introduce a bill that would ban members of Congress from trading individual stocks, a practice that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has defended as her husband rakes in millions of dollars trading shares of tech companies the Post has learned. The Ossoff ethics bill, which the Democrat freshman senator plans to introduce once he finds a Republican co-sponsor, would crack down on conflicts of interest by making it illegal for lawmakers and their families, that's a big point, and their families to trade stock while in office, a Washington, D.C. source said close to the situation. It would also likely require lawmakers to put their assets in a blind trust, a step that the 34-year-old Ossoff completed himself months after being elected in January 2021. No Senate Republicans appear to have publicly come out against congressional stock trades, so Ossoff may have trouble finding a co-sponsor in the Senate. But wait! But wait! House GOP pushes back after Kevin McCarthy pitches stock trade restrictions. Now, like I said, this is a place to gain some political capital. So will much of this come to fruition? I don't know. It's going to be a lot of uh, song and dance. But Kevin McCarthy is speaking up here, and you got to give credit where credit is due. So we go on here. A suggestion by House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy says that he may seek to limit lawmakers' ability to trade individual stocks if the GOP takes the majority <laughs> If when the GOP takes majority this November um, is going over like a 500 bound uh, 500 point Dow drop amongst his members. So the GOP is not happy with Kevin McCarthy speaking up here. McCarthy told Punchbowl News that he is considering a range of ideas from restricting members to only holding professionally managed mutual funds and barring lawmakers from owning stocks of companies overseen by their committees. Sounds pretty fucking reasonable to me. He added that deliberations are still at an early stage and no final decisions have been made. McCarthy cited that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, um, arguing her husband traded millions of dollars worth of tech stocks, potentially posed a conflict of interest. And Pelosi herself does not own any individual stocks, but supports members' abilities to trade. I think if you're the Speaker of the House, you control what comes to the floor, what goes through committee. You have all the power to do everything you want. You can't be trading millions of dollars, McCarthy told The Post Tuesday. But GOP critics say their leaders are um, proposing a solution in search of a problem. <laughs> really? They argue that, th- that most lawmakers and staff are not abusing their positions of personal profit, but members also restrictions could negatively impact public officials by limiting their ability to prepare for their retirements while performing their duties. That's what you should be worried about. You make $175,000 a year, which is far beyond the median income in this country, I think you're going to be absolutely fucking fine. And why not put it into a mutual fund? Why not do something else? Why not have somebody else manage that outside of yourself? Wouldn't that make the most sense? Where you're not involved? Blind trust, also a great idea. But the GOP critics saying that he's uh, proposing a solution in search of a problem, it's absolutely comical. And well, most people aren't insider trading. Well, most people aren't dealing drugs. We still have laws. Right, we still have laws against that. Most people don't murder other people. It's just kind of like the Clintons, Dick Cheney, and then a bunch of other people, right? But that's not really the majority. Okay, so we still have regulations in place to handle that situation, even though, yeah, the majority of people are not making that thing happen. So what we're looking at here is a, is a serious push, and this is a bipartisan push. And I like the seeing this because what Nancy Pelosi has done here. What Nancy Pelosi's done here is is make a character of herself, of the corrupt insider politician. 
right? She's had no real job. She's never started a business. She's never done anything that would give her insight into how markets work. Okay. Yeah. Her husband's a pretty sophisticated trader. I don't give a fuck how sophisticated you are. 50% returns are absolutely astronomical. Okay. That's absolutely ridiculous. So we've got this situation where there's a, a series of behavior that she never confronts because she's a coward, a liar, and a corrupt bitch. Okay. That's who Nancy Pelosi is to her core. That is who her, her nephew, Gavin Newsom is to his core. We've seen this over and over again. Right. And let's not, let's not forget that she's not the only one. Okay. There were Republicans who had higher returns than her. Now she's trading bigger dollar amounts than most people are, but you can remember John Ossoff, right? Got his seat because of the people who dumped their stocks in Georgia. The two senators from Georgia, Lori Loeffler and the other person, whoever they were, they both dumped tons and tons of stocks stocks after a COVID committee hearing or whatever, a COVID briefing, that's what it was, a COVID briefing, right? While telling everything, everybody, everything's going to be fine, telling everybody that everything's going to be chill. We're just going to dump all of our hotel stocks because we know shit's about to go down, but we'll pretend that's not the case while we're saving our asses. And that's why they lost their seats in Georgia. And that's why um, Warnock and Ossoff are, are, are representatives senators from Georgia right now was because of this type of behavior. The public is fucking fed up. They're fed up with this and that's okay. That's a good place to be because the only thing that will hold Democrats to account or politicians to account on the broader scale is the threat of being publicly punished by not being elected. Now, Nancy Pelosi is about to leave. And when Nancy Pelosi leaves, and she's going to leave San Francisco because it's a fucking nightmare living there, she's going to go to Martha's Vineyard, get a place next to the Obamas, and that's where she's going to be. That's what she's going to do. She's going to go live next to the people she's villainized for the past eight years or 10 years, however long she's been like villainizing the rich while she's an insider trader herself. It's an interesting situation to see here. Now, Dan Crenshaw also had very similar returns. I think he actually edged out. <laughs> he actually edged out Nancy Pelosi. Now he doesn't have the same kind of cash to throw around. So the sheer um, gross returns weren't the same, but as far as his rate on return, it was very, very similar. So there's a lot of people out there that are benefiting from this, but there's things, and then there's going to be wealthy people in politics all the time. That's fine. Okay. That is what it is. It's okay. I don't fault people for making money ever unless they're doing it illegally, which is what this is. But there's got to be a system here, okay? And here's the deal. It can't be your husband. It can't be your kids. It can't be your wife. It can't, this is, this is where it gets weird, right? Because it's like, well, my husband, uh, Diane Feinstein said the same thing. It's like, my husband does all the trading and we don't talk about it. That's the same thing Pelosi says. That's absolutely ridiculous to even <laughs> try to wrap your mind around the fact that like a husband and wife don't talk about money. That's weird. That makes no sense. And people are fed up with it, like I've said over and over again. And now we're finally seeing a push. And if the Republicans, when the Republicans take the majority in November, if this is the first thing they do, that would put them in public favor. That is a great, a fantastic political move. It will come at the cost to them financially. But that's what principles do. You understand? If you were a principled actor at some point, it will cost you financially. It's just a matter. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when and seeing politicians put their money where their mouth is literally and stand up for principles and what's right. And, and, and show that they can actually be trusted to legislate what's appropriate, regardless of the consequences to them personally. 
Because that's really what it is. We're asking people who are benefiting from shitty regulation and, 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 and fraud, corruption, right? They're benefiting from corruption and then legislate against that corruption. It takes a very principled actor to stand up in that situation. And we'll see if it works out that way. But it's a strong move. I like seeing it. I think it's something that should be a, a, a huge part of the public discourse. And I think uh, Nancy Pelosi should not be able to stand in front of a crowd and take questions without this being part of that questioning. That's what our press needs to do. But <laughs> I don't know when the last time they did what they were supposed to do. It's, it's gotten pretty ugly out there. Now, we've spoken about the midterms a little bit. And with those coming up, uh, and coming up quick, you know, it is only January, but they're coming up fast. And you're going to see something stuff in the next, some positioning in the next few months um, to really put people on the track for what their kind of campaign positioning is going to be, right? So there's going to be a lot of shaking up, a lot of changing. And now we're seeing that finally, finally, Democrats and Democrat-like people are realizing that their narrative on COVID is completely out of touch. That is very unpopular. And they're actually starting to turn on the CDC. They're turning on their God. This is incredible. It's incredible to see. So we've got uh, Brian Stelter, which I can't ever have imagined myself. I could have imagined myself two months ago saying, hey, Brian Stelter is saying something that makes sense. But the little egg-headed fuck surprised me here. So let's check it out. Let's see what Brian Stelter had to say on his show about um, where the Democrats stand on COVID. Is the media at this point out of touch with the public about COVID? A lot of the media does seem, when I look at it and, and then travel the country, to be very out of touch with people. I mean, if you travel the country, people are not really living in the same uh, bubble that it seems that uh, most of the media is messaging toward. Correct. If people are tuning out, uh, what's going on in cable news, if we're not messaging toward uh, the general population, um, you know, they're, they're just you know, ignoring everything and, and living their lives. Uh, and, and we're not really getting the information that they need to them. The CDC has turned into a punchline. It is so sad, but it's true. The CDC has turned into a punchline. Watch. For many of us, the CDC has been a punchline for years and years. But for the rest of people, this is kind of a new trend. All of this mixed messages or new messages has led to a meme on social media poking fun at the CDC's advice. Tweets like CDC now recommends eating straight off the floor at Waffle House. The CDC now says it's in fact okay to eat Tide Pods. The CDC says go ahead and get bangs. You know, it's amusing people letting off steams, steam, of course, but is there a larger credibility problem with your agency right now? And how significant is that in the midst of a pandemic? You know, um, we at the CDC are 12,000 people who are working 24-7 following the science. Should I get bangs? I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, I think you look great how you are. All right. <laughs> There's a huge credibility crisis for the CDC. And Oliver, to your point, it just causes people, if they, if they hear all these mixed messages and all this confusion and it's all too complicated, they just move on and ignore it. We are supposed to be getting information, I think, to these people. And so when we are messaging toward a very small group of people, maybe who are, are, are taking the pandemic uh, far more seriously than, than, than the, the average person, I, I think we're not doing our jobs as effectively as we, as we should be doing. If doctors and public health officials don't check their own anxieties, their own fears, and take a moment to re reflect 
on how they are messaging and how they are potentially doing harm by, again, sharing fear-based messaging, then we really, really should take a break. Because look, doctors mm. are people too. We're seeing a mental health crisis among, among healthcare providers as well. The reality about learning to live with COVID, we have to focus on the living part. <laughs> we have to learn how to live with COVID, which is not equivalent to saying, let it rip, don't protect the vulnerable. We absolutely need to do everything we can to protect the vulnerable. But remember, Brian, vulnerability means many things. It can be in a vulnerability to depression and isolation. It can also mean... Hang on, whoa, whoa. Now you're talking about the consequences of putting people in their houses and isolating them. Where the fuck has that been for two years? Are you just now? It's just now coming to you that that could be part of the reality of this entire situation. Jesus Christ. A vulnerability to COVID-19. We right, need to be broad absolutely. in our messaging and inclusive and honest. Thanks to the Daily Caller for putting together that super cut. Now, they're not the only ones. Right, they're not the only one. This is the canary in the coal mine here with Brian Stelter. And they're like, wait, maybe we should take this thing rationally and actually share uh, appropriate information. And we don't need a fear monger to get views. That, I mean, that's not the move. But you know, our friends over at The Daily Show um, can't, can't miss an opportunity to make something that could be kind of funny, not funny at all. So this is a clip from The Daily Show. Um, fantastic. Let's check this out. If you test positive for COVID, you only have to isolate for five days, five Martian days. They're slightly longer than Earth days, so that probably helps. If you test negative, so sorry but you're her. in Aries or any other fire sign, test again. Your immune system is a free spirit, so the tests have trouble detecting COVID. If you can't find a test, get a strong scented marker and see if you can smell it. If you can't, you probably have COVID. Oh, it's probably unscented. Count five days from when you last had symptoms, then take the name of your childhood pet and the street you grew up on. That is your porn star name. Remember this rhyme. If symptoms again, the days are 10. If you're symptom free, the days are through five. If you still wear a cloth mask, you've already died. I know it seems confusing, but by following these simple guidelines, we can finally beat smallpox. Uh, COVID-19. COVID-19. Uh, yeah. So that was an attempt at humor, I guess. But here we're seeing this, and this is the reason why is because, well, what happened in Virginia for one? But we have more and more polling, right? We saw the shift in polling, like I think twenty eight percent of people in the country now, and the, who knows how close these polls are? But the margin of error, I'm sure, is like five or six percent. But about a quarter of the country is their number one concern is COVID. Right. And I don't know where that quarter of the country is. And maybe those people are obese or immunocompromised or whatever at, at, at serious risk. But the rest of us um, have been trying to move on from this thing for a year now. And understand, we got to live with this thing. Let's protect the vulnerable, do what we need to do. We have to keep the world moving around. These are not like really outrageous, outlandish, radical things that we've been talking about. And finally, somehow, Somehow, and I think a lot of this has to do with the midterms, these uh, establishment Democrats and establishment outlets are starting to change a little bit. They're starting to turn the ship towards pragmatism, right? Which is all we've wanted. That's all we have wanted. And they're noticing that their ratings are going to shit because all they're doing is, is fear-mongering and just putting in this COVID porn uh, for, for views to keep people afraid. And just like things like January 6th, you have, you have CNN bragging about how January 6th was the most watched day in their, net, in their network history. That says a lot. And then they just keep beating the dead 
horse and making it something that it was not in order to grasp. They can't just take the W and walk away. they got to grasp it more and get greedy and greedy and greedy. And they've been doing the same thing with COVID, just trying to milk it for all it's worth and scaring the fuck out of people by delivering, dare I say it, misinformation. It's, it's, it's Russiagate 2.0. It's sim- so similar to 9-11, in fact, and we're going to get into some of that down the road. But this is really good to see, I guess. But at the same time, it's almost pathetic. We're, we're looking at this and saying, what did we do? What, where have you been this whole time? First off, you've called anybody who didn't want to get vaccinated a, a, <laughs> everything short of a terrorist, and I'm sure some of those people have been. I'm sure there's an, uh, some some opinion pieces out there uh, making you know un, unvaccinated people similar to ISIS in some obscure way. But this is, I, I hate to say that, but this is uh, this is one the news realizing that maybe they're not actually news, and uh, two, I guess it's good. I guess it's a step in the right direction. We'll see. But I don't, I don't, I don't see Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or whoever else cutting off their addiction to fear porn. I don't see it happening. But it is fun to see just a little bit of uh, the ridiculousness being recognized. And you know, The Daily Show stopped being funny when Jon Stewart left. But looking at this, we've got to say, I guess it's a step in the right direction? Question mark. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Cured Nutrition. You guys have been showing up and supporting this business, and I fucking appreciate it so, so much because they put their money where their mouth is and support independent creators that have um, somewhat controversial topics. And you know, I appreciate that. So if you're looking to get into CBD, I know it's a saturated market. There's a lot going on. But if you want quality over quantity, Cured is your one-stop shop. They have different doses. They have different blends, depending on what time of day that you like to take your CBD from the morning to the midday to night to get better sleep or more energy. They also have two kick-ass beverages, all right? They get a ginger lime and a spicy mango. Now, I don't like spicy mango. Personally, it's like, like spicy mangoes, like the literal fruit with spiciness on them. But I tried this uh, new spicy mango drink from them, and it's actually more spicy than it is mango. It's really, really good. And they had changed some of the the way they're formulating it, so it's it's got a little bit of a kick. It's actually kind of nice with uh, with lunch. That's what I've been, when I've been drinking more of my cured uh, Euphoria beverages. But check those out as well. Really good stuff, guys. So high quality sourcing. Full spectrum CBD, like I said, different doses, different times a day. You guys have been buying this stuff. Keep doing it. The link is in the show notes. You just go to curednutrition.com. Promo code HOMELESS will get you 10% off and free shipping. If you're going to be taking CBD, if you like this stuff, Cured is the place to go. That's all I'm going to tell you about this today because you guys have been you guys have been doing it. You know what's up. And CBD is great. And that salve, I mean, Kelly, when she was sore from the IVF stuff, was like, please put the salve on my back. Oh, it feels so much better. Like, do it. If you're pregnant right now, get that salve, baby. Because your back's going to be gonna be tight from what I can tell so far with this whole, like, IVF situation. Okay? A lot of bloating, a lot of gassiness. It's been weird. But Cured has helped us a lot through the process, whether it be taking CBD or the salves. Or whenever you're stressed the fuck out and want to come down at the end of the day. Oh, God. Such good stuff. 
make sure to go to curednutrition.com, promo code HOMELESS, 10% off, and free shipping. Now, of course, you know our tried and true, our bottom bitch, Element. Element is something I drink. I think I've drank, did I drink two today? I think just one. I think I was saving one for later. But Element is one of my favorite supplements all time. And of course, as you guys know, if I'm talking about supplements on this show, I'm a minimalist when it comes to these kind of things. I take what works. I like a high return on investment from anything I put in my body, from food to drugs to supplements. So what Element is, is a salty beverage, a salty blend of goodness. Now they've got all kinds of flavors from citrus to lemon habanero. Right now, I'm really on that grapefruit vibe. It's so goddamn good. It is so good. Grapefruit and watermelon, they're just so fruity and delicious, but without any sugar, without any sugar. And it gets me that salty, salty goodness. And of course, salt is good for so many things, right? Whether it's about inflammation recovery, if you're on some kind of low-carb keto diet or you're just working out a ton, you've got to replenish those electrolytes. And this isn't some bullshit sports beverage. This is the real deal. This is the real shit. Okay, talking about magnesium, sodium, the things you need delivered in a tasty little packet, blend it with your water. If you want it strong, a little bit less water. You want it a little bit more watered down, add a little more. It's pretty simple, not complicated. Then you put it in your mouth and it's good and it does good things for you. That is Element. Okay, now they got the chocolate and they got the mint chocolate. You can mix those in with warm water at night and uh, get yourself a little hot chocolate vibe going on. If you want to throw some marshmallows in there, do it. I'm not going to judge you. I don't think anybody will. That seems like, sounds like a great idea. I kind of want to go buy some baby marshmallows right now just to try that. But anyways, back to Element. Uh, love this stuff. It's absolutely fantastic. There's no jokes. I mean, they could give me like ad copy to read, but I don't think anything is going to be as good as me telling you that this stuff is an absolute game changer. When I'm in the backcountry hunting, I drink it. I have a, I actually bring a shaker bottle just for that because a lot of my other water goes into like making food and stuff. So I do that. If I'm working out a lot, always have it in the gym. If I'm in altitude higher than what I live at, always have it. Right. If I go down to Texas and I'm sweating my ass off chasing deer around or whatever I'm doing, got to have it. It is just one of those things that is staple. I have it in my office, got it in the house, got it in my car, got it in my pack, got it in a extra box in the back of my car. Like I have this stuff everywhere, guys. Get yourself some Element and here's what you do. If you haven't tried it yet, if you're out there listening to this right now and you have not tried Element yet, do yourself a favor. Go to drinkelementy.com, right? Drinkelement.com slash wanders. The link is in the show notes. All you got to do is scroll down, click it, Okay. You're going to get a variety pack for just five bucks. All you got to do is cover shipping. You're going to get that variety pack. It'll let you get a sample in, see what's up. They have some of their most popular flavors in there. They also have the unflavored version in there. Try it out. See what you think. You will be impressed and you will buy more. And I know that because I know you. Okay, we have a thing going here. Drinkelement.com. D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash wanders. Link is in the show notes. Get that variety pack. And if you're already buying Element, make sure to click that link to do it because it makes me look good and I like looking good to the people that are giving me money. Okay? Same way I feel about the Patreon. Also join the Patreon. <laughs> but CureNutrition.com, uh, promo code HOMELESS, get you 10% off and free shipping and drinkelement.com slash wanders. Click both those links. They're both in the show notes. Make it happen. Enjoy yourself. Now let's get back to the show. 
Now, there are two different um, congressional hearings that I wanted to pull, pull uh, point out today. One is Rand Paul and Fauci. Of course, we're going to go into that. Uh, but two is Ted Cruz talking about the FBI in January 6th, and he went after him. I'm not a Ted Cruz fan necessarily. I think he's kind of slimy and weaselly. Um, but here we are, right? <laughs> Again, giving credit where credit is due. And he went at the FBI, which is something that's incredibly important because it never happens. These, these talking heads on mainstream news or corporate media um, are really just mouthpieces. They're marionettes of what the intelligence community and the FBI want them to say. And it's this revolving door of working for the CIA or the FBI and then moving into uh, being a contributor on MSNBC or CNN. It's pretty standard, right? We've seen this a lot. Taibbi does some good reporting on this as well. So check that out if you want to get more into that. He goes in depth. It's a really interesting situation. But what we've seen since 9-11 particularly is the FBI generating plots, sucking a few people into it, and then arresting those people when those plots never would have happened outside of the FBI. The Gretchen Whitmer example is a really good one where you have something like 20-something co-conspirators but the major, the vast majority of them were either FBI or FBI informants. So you end up having 20-something people involved in this plot and like three of them get arrested because the only three of them weren't FBI. So that plot never would have actually existed outside of the FBI funding and planning it. So we have to also look at January 6th. January 6th was a great opportunity to advance the security state. Right to advance the police state. I mean, we can even look at the uh, the the DC police got like three billion more dollars. Was that right? I believe something crazy like that. Right, and AOC voted for it because she was scared for her life, even though she's been saying defund the police for two years prior to that. So we have a situation here where it's like, okay, clearly, clearly they they were using January sixth to advance the police state. But how involved were they? in the lead up to the events at the Capitol on January 6th. Let's jump in here and see what Ted Cruz has to say to the FBI director. God, I love this. I want to turn to the FBI. How many FBI agents or confidential informants actively participated in the events of January 6th? Sir, I'm sure you can appreciate that I'd can't go into the specifics of sources and methods. Uh, did any FBI agents or confidential informants actively participate in the events of January 6th? Yes or no? Sir, I can't, I can't answer that. Did any FBI agents or confidential informants commit crimes of violence on January 6th? I can't answer that, sir. Did any FBI agents or FBI informants actively encourage and incite crimes of violence on January 6th. Sir, I can't answer that. Ms. Sadburn, Ms. who is Ray Epps? I'm aware of the individual, sir. Uh, I don't have the specific background to him. Well, She's so there are a lot of shit. people who are understandably very concerned about this. So Epps. full of shit. On the night of January 5th, 2021, Epps wandered around the crowd that had gathered and there's video out there of him chanting, tomorrow, we need to get into the Capitol, into the Capitol. This was strange behavior, so strange that the crowd began chanting, Fed, 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 Fed. Ms. Sandburn, was Ray Epps a Fed? Sir, I cannot answer that question. The next day. The next day. On January 6th, 
Mr. Epps is seen whispering to a person, and five seconds later, five seconds after he's whispering to a person, that same person begins to forcibly tear down the barricades. Did Mr. Epps urge them to tear down the barricades? Sir, similar to the other answers, I cannot answer that. Shortly thereafter, the FBI put out a public post listing, seeking information on individuals connected with violent crimes on January 6th. Among those individuals in the bottom there is Mr. Epps. The FBI publicly asked for information, identifying, offering cash rewards leading to information, leading to, for information leading to the arrest. This was posted and then sometime later, magically, <laughs> Mr. Epps disappeared from the public posting. According to public records, Mr. Epps has not been charged with anything. No one's explained why a person videoed urging people to go to the Capitol, a person whose conduct was so suspect the crowd believed he was a Fed, would magically disappear from the list of people the FBI was looking at. Ms. Sanborn, a lot of Americans are concerned that the federal government deliberately encouraged illegal and violent conduct on January 6th. My question to you, and this is, a, this is not an ordinary law enforcement question, this is a question of a public accountability. Did federal agents or those in service of federal agent actively encourage violent and criminal conduct on January 6th? Not to my knowledge, sir. Thank you. Well, there's that. There is that. So, um, no answers. Not a no. Not a yes. I can't answer that. What does that say to you? And again, as Ted Cruz said, this is about public accountability. Was the FBI involved in getting those idiots to run into the Capitol? Now, if you're one of those people who think that this was Antifa that was actually responsible for what happened on January 6th, you're an idiot. Shut up. That's not true. Okay, were there some left-wing agitators there? Yeah. And you can also be uh, pretty goddamn certain that there was right-wing agitators at BLM riots. Okay, so it cuts both ways and shut the fuck up. Really, I'm so... T I, that, that, that whole line of, of thinking is completely ridiculous. You think that the QAnon shaman is actually in league with Antifa? Give me a fucking break, okay? But this actually has legs. This is actually credible, and this actually lines up with a pattern of behavior from the FBI. Now, Glenn Greedwall, the Matt Taibbi have done some great reporting on this. I highly encourage you to go check that stuff out. It's been in-depth to, to the nth degree, really. And I love seeing this. I mean, there's a lot of things that I, this may not seem like good news, but I love seeing this because it will not be the Democrats that jump in here and do anything to hold the FBI to account for their role in what happened January 6th. Would it likely have happened without these people? Yeah. It was a bunch of idiots doing something that really didn't make a whole lot of sense and just made a show. It was, it was the series finale. Like Tim Dillon says, it was the series finale, the season finale of the Trump presidency, which was a reality show. Okay. And he wanted to go out with a bang. So he told these people to go down and do something crazy. And then he went and ate Cheetos and watched Fox news for a few hours and then tweeted at people to go home. Okay. It was moronic. It was embarrassing for our country. It was a pretty bad day. Generally speaking, it was not an insurrection. It was not a coup. Okay. You want to talk about coups in the United States? Talk about JFK. All right. That was a coup. 
This is not a coup. All right. So if you want to use those terms, you are being intellectually dishonest. And if you want to say it was Antifa, you're being an idiot. But when we get into this, this is what we need to still get. This is what we need to see. We need to see public accountability of the FBI, CIA, and anybody else that's in a position of power that then uses these chaotic events to further their reach and their grip on the American citizenry. It's been a problem since before 9-11, but 9-11 since then it has been rapid and toxic, and we've got to do something about it. So I don't know who's going to do it, but I love seeing this from Ted Cruz. Shouts to Ted Cruz for making something happen. Next up on things you love to see, it's um, around, what, four or five now of Rand Paul versus Fauci. Now, there was a beginning, there's two segments of this because they went around twice and did, did some questioning. This is the second half. And what this is is really Rand uninterrupted for his time and then Fauci getting a couple minutes to defend himself in the situation. Now, in the previous section, Rand had been accused of uh, uh supporting violence against the Fauci family, which apparently was a thing. And somebody said they wanted to kill Fauci and had an AR 15 and whatever, who knows that could have been the FBI too. It doesn't at this point, who knows what the hell is real, but this section here, I thought was criticism that Fauci needs to hear supporters of Fauci need to hear. And I thought it was very well articulated. So we're just going to jump right into here with what Rand Paul had to say. Again, Rand Paul is my favorite for 2024. Call me crazy, but I think it might happen. It's, it's disappointing for you to suggest that people who dare to question you are responsible somehow for violent threats. Realize that by attacking me, you're attacking the one member who actually has suffered from violent attacks. I was at the ball field today. Steve Scalise almost died. I was 10 feet away from a staffer who was shot in the leg. We had over 160 rounds of semi-automatic weapons fired at us, ammunition. So for you to somehow suggest that somehow I or people who dare to oppose you are responsible for threats. That's insulting. The person who shot at us and almost killed Steve Scalise was a uh, rabid supporter of Bernie Sanders. But the one thing you'll find if you look at the record is that not one of us accused Bernie Sanders of being responsible for that. So this is the kind of ignorant sort of personal attacks that you've engaged in. You engaged in these attacks with fellow scientists. Not only was it three scientists from Harvard, Oxford and Stanford that you chose to malign, 50,000 scientists and medical doctors signed this petition. And what they wanted was something that most Americans think is pretty reasonable. It's a different kind of approach. Instead of saying that everyone is the same and everyone should get the same treatment and everybody ought to just get vaccinated, what it did is it said that the death rate for this disease is extraordinary in the risk being different according to ages. So if you look at an 80-year-old, it's at least a 1,000 times greater death rate than it is for a 10-year-old. So wouldn't we want to say that, well, we're going to assess the risks of each individual and have the treatment according to that, or would we just simply say everyone should be vaccinated? The death rate for kids under 18 is about one in a million, uh, a little bit less than the chance of being struck by lightning. We don't yet know fully whether or not kids who have already had COVID might be at risk for some of the side effects of the vaccine still needs to be explored. But for a kid under 18 who's already had COVID, see, it's death rate of about one in a million, even if you haven't had a disease, even if you haven't had COVID, it's about one in a million. It's extraordinarily uncommon for a child to die. If you've already had the disease, it's probably a great deal less than that. Many Americans wonder why 
You've steadfastly refused and worked with others to try to hide any kind of knowledge of natural immunity and how it would affect our decision making. So for example, you know, you have a 10 year old kid and his mom comes up and all of a sudden he gets myocarditis from the vaccine and dies. Admittedly a rare complication, but what are you gonna tell her when she says, well, he had COVID three months ago. I mean, why would you force me to vaccinate my kid? Why would you force me to vaccinate my kid without even checking to see whether he's already immune? Now, the Good idea question. of natural immunity is, is the idea upon which vaccines are based. We've believed in and all, all of medicine is based on the idea of acquiring natural immunity. People often respond and say, but you don't know how long it'll last. Well, we don't know how long vaccines will last either, and that True. doesn't make us anti-vaccine. We do know that the vaccines are, are waning very quickly in potency. We do know that the vaccine against Omicron really isn't preventing transmission. You've noticed that the debate has shifted, and the debate is now talking about trying to prevent hospitalizations and death. And I agree with those statistics. I think it's a good idea if you're at risk to be vaccinated. I've always been pro-vaccine. I'm just simply against authoritarianism and against mandates. Right. The anger that's developed with you, Dr. Fauci, is that you don't want to give us advice. You want to tell us what to do. You think you are the science, and that anybody responds to you, how dare you, how dare you criticize science? as if you somehow are science. That kind of arrogance, that hubris is really, that's where the anger's coming towards you. If you were one doctor among hundreds of doctors in the government who gave advice, I don't think anybody, people might object to your advice, but there wouldn't be such a degree of anger, but you are so certain that you're right that you're not willing to hear anyone else. Three epidemiologists, of which you are not even an epidemiologist, but three epidemiologists prominent in their field, Oxford, Stanford, and Harvard, you maligned them. You spoke openly with Dr. Collins, and you did not disagree that let's paint them as fringe. You went after them and said, we will do a public takedown, not in Science or Nature or Lancet, in Wired, in The Nation, a left-wing publication. You've engaged in base politics. You wonder why there's so much anger? You're not an objective scientist. You, you've lost that long ago. And so many of the things that people want, it's like they want to know why you're forcing their children to be vaccinated when 95% of people at risk have been vaccinated. Over 95% of people over 65, it's a huge voluntary success. And yet you won't rest until you force every child to get this. So yes, there's a great Senator deal Paul, of dissatisfaction with you. And many people want you to go, but nobody wishes you violence. Senator Paul, you're... Okay, so... For those of you that are that are Fauci fans out there, and I have a few friends that are that are probably watching this on Instagram, tell me what's wrong with this critique right there. Tell me what's what's inaccurate, and please fill me in. Tell me what's inaccurate about that criticism of Dr. Fauci. That seems like poignant, grounded, and very specific criticism that also could be used constructively by someone like Fauci and the medical institutions that we have lost in uh, faith in entirely. Now let's hear how uh, Fauci tries to respond to this and see if he actually addresses any of the valid criticism that Rand brings his way, or if he just talks about something completely different. Your time has expired. I will use one time of my remaining five minutes to allow Senator Fauci to respond. Thank you very much. <laughs> Dr. Madam. Fauci. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Long thank day. you, Dr. Murray. <laughs> No, no, no. So, uh, first of all, um, Senator, again, at, at a hearing such as this, where there are almost 900,000 
people in this country have died from this outbreak. You have chosen to just personal attacks on me that go back to multiple hearings. And again, just for the record for people to check, I have never said take people down in that email. It was an email that was sent to me. See, and again, you agreed with Dr. Collins in the email. Senator Paul, this is my time. You know, you personally attacked me, and the things that you do are incorrect and proven incorrect. You've publicly accused me at a hearing of being responsible for the death of five million people when there is not a single, single shred of evidence that anything that was done with the NIH had anything to do with COVID-19. You talk about things like gain of function. Dr. Fauci, I'm, I'm going to let you re con, uh, respond uh, continually, but I think you have responded, and I appreciate Okay, I appreciate the time. I th thank you very much, Madam Chair. But I just want to say I'm actually stunned by the amount of misinformation. The only thing I have ever done, and this will take 20 seconds, if you look at the things I've said, they've been to support the recommendations of the CDC, of their advisory committees, and of the FDA. I've told people that it's important to get vaccinated, to get boosted, to wear a mask, and to be prudent. That's the only thing I've said. I haven't dictated anything that's only a monolith with me. It's always so, public so health practices. And anybody goes back over any thank, record of me, you. they know that. Thank you, and I will... So what you see there is the embodiment, not of science, but of uh, deflection and deferral of responsibility. That's what it is. This guy has more power than any other medical official in the government and makes 400 and some odd thousand dollars a year doing that, which is great, I'm sure. Um, not to mention what he makes on, you know, pharma stocks. But <laughs> let's just leave that for another day. But you look at that, and those are very valid criticisms, and all we do sit here and say these are personal attacks well you are science you've already said that you are science so now you've you've you put yourself in a category of of human being that get to be personally criticized because you've you've attached yourself to something you've also said i think we should have mass mandates on domestic flights even though even though now the studies show that you have to sit next to an infected person on a flight thanks to the filtering systems for something like 54 hours to catch the disease so science disagrees with you Fauci it disagrees with you that can happen and you have every right to be wrong but the 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 arrogance the narcissism that oozes from this human being and that's the thing about politics and these people that live in this world of government employment you get there of being a fucking narcissist so no one's really all that immune to it but the level with this guy so hard to see and he can't even respond to valid criticisms because he doesn't recognize them as valid he has so much confidence and hubris in his own righteousness that there's not really anywhere for him to go. This is just who he is. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Hope you get to fire this guy. I can't wait to see this guy go. Oh, what a trip. Well, I think it's that time. It's that beautiful time of the show where I give you a little something to think about. Let's do it. Well, we're coming up on this season here now where you're going to start hearing promises. 
campaign promises, positioning. It's going to be cute, be fun, be interesting. But I want to maybe give you um, an idea or a thought or a lens perhaps to maybe start seeing this stuff through. It seems like, and, and I think Build Back Better is a really great example of exactly what I'm talking about. It seems like we have this reliance on fixes or band-aids, what I like to call them, like these band-aid <laughs> fake solutions to problems, right? The Build Back Better plan was a bunch of half-assed nonsense bundled together to make people feel like they're going to spend enough money that things could happen, right? And sometimes that, you, you understand that thing where you're like, well, if I spend more money on this thing, it's going to look like a, a sunk cost fallacy. I'll just spend more money on it and it should work because I have faith in it working. But generally speaking, that, that doesn't really work out. You know, you can look at the, there's some good science on the number of first round draft picks that people just keep pouring money into and they just don't work out. But it's a sunk cost fallacy. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a psychological principle. So I think if we change the way we look at this stuff, right, it, it's, it's when we look at these campaign promises and these positionings and these different things, one, we have to always look at unintended consequences because there always are those. And that should be the number one thing you think about when it's like, oh, I like this plan. What are the unintended negative consequences? There will be that for everything. Nothing is immune to that. I don't care how much faith you have in your socialist or libertarian belief system and your, your utopian dream world. There are unintended negative consequences to everything there is. Every solution will have them. Nothing is immune. Keep that in mind, everything. And even if you believe in something, you should be able to tell me what are the unintended negative consequences that you see. And you won't be able to see them all, but you should be able to see some of them. And that is incredibly important when you are talking about being intellectually honest and principled. So when we look at what we have coming up in this 2022 midterm season and things are going on, we've got new governor races and different things like that. Look at the, look at the, the campaigns. Look at what they're trying to do and be like, hey, is this a Band-Aid or is this a solution? Because oftentimes, systems aren't able to be fixed. They need to be rebuilt, right? It's like when your car is totaled. Yeah, you can take it to a scrapyard. You can make that thing work again, but it's never really going to be what it could have, what it was, right? Or what you had wanted it to be. So you start fresh. You know what I mean? And I think we have to be really keen to which systems in this country are fixable and which need to be rebuilt or abandoned altogether. There are a few of those as well. But that process of rebuilding may take an entire presidential term, right? It's going to take patience, diligence, co cooperation, compromise. These are all important things. And, but I think we need to look at things and say, hey, has this even got anywhere to go, right? Is this going to right itself with a little bit of encouragement or is it fundamentally broken? And if someone's promising to fix something that you believe is fundamentally broken, you can throw that campaign promise out because if you believe that, many others do as well and many in government likely do as well, even if they don't say it out loud. So think about that as we come into the 2022 midterms and as we start to see the positioning and the shakeups and the, uh, what am I trying to say here? The, um, the grandstanding of those people that want your vote, your money, your attention, and your support. Keep it in mind. Well, everybody, thank you so much for being here. You guys are awesome. <sighs> what a week. What a week, what a life, what a day. Make sure to support our sponsors. They're doing good things for us over here. You guys are showing up. Y'all are buying the shit out of stuff. It's great. 
keep it up. Until next time, keep your head on straight. Love you. Bye-bye.